All right, so we are in our collection, Best Practices, and chances are, in your life, you have uh, reaped the benefits of some good choices that you've made, some good decisions, right? But unfortunately, you've also have reaped <laughs> the consequences of some bad choices and bad decisions. And as I say, they're immediately fresh into your mind. Um, so either we either say, man, I'm glad we did this, or man, I wish we had, or I'm glad we don't, or I wish we hadn't. You know, you know what I'm saying? So you have all these scenarios in your life. In this collection, we are giving some unoriginal advice. And in some cases, it might be a learn the hard way, best practices, right? And so hopefully we can get you on the front end of that. So it's not, it's advice, it's not rules. This is not going to make or break your opportunity to make it into heaven. However, it will keep, it will help you not to break the rules that can break you, break your relationships, or keep you broke, right? Nobody wants to be broke. Uh, So today, the practice that we're going to talk about is forgive, forgive. And some of you looked at that and either you were excited or you cringed or you, you know, you started sweating and your, your shoulders tightened up, right? You're squirming in your seat because you don't like that word. And not a whole lot, not all black people do. It's not our favorite topic in regards to ourself, but it is our favorite topic in regards to others, right? <laughs> of like, oh, you should forgive me, right? Or you should, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so you're sweating, but don't worry, we'll get through this. It's not a word that you like, but when it comes to forgiveness, many of us have a love-hate relationship with it. For some of us, it comes easier, not a lot of people. Most of us, it's challenging. So this advice, you can take it or leave it. You don't have to do it, but it would be in your best interest, and it would be wise to apply the wisdom in this best practice. But before we get into that, I want to talk about elephants. Anybody like elephants? I love elephants. I think they're cool. Um, they're very powerful, majestic. I mean, y'all just look at it. Isn't that cute? You're like, oh, look at that elephant. I just want to wrap up in its ears. Um, and, but they're large, majestic animals. They're kind of like a sight to be seen because they're just larger than life, really, right? Very powerful uh, creatures, also very intelligent creatures. They're very smart, Uh, In the wild, because of their size, they don't really have a natural predator, right? There are things that will eat an elephant, but most things do not mess with them. You're immediately thinking, what about lions? Yeah, lions try to eat elephants, but only weak, sick ones or baby elephants, young elephants, because those are the ones they can take advantage of. But even to get that, they have to organize the pride to attack. Right? Pride is a group of lions, education today. Um, and, and they had to organize it. But elephants are known, they're disintelligent. And when they see a lion, they will organize and chase off and scatter the pride because they know they can scatter them and push them away. They have no power over them. So, very, very smart, right? They're at the top, I believe, I could say the wildlife chain, chain and whatever they, wherever they are. But until humans came along, okay? Now, I don't advocate for this. Don't call PETA. Don't email me about it. I'm not saying this is a good practice, but there is something that is known and coined as baby elephant syndrome, right? You might have heard of this. So as humans, to dominate and to control these larger-than-life elephants, that can kill us, 
every, each one of them, even a baby could probably kill us if it tried hard enough, right? Because they're very big. And so what they would do to control these big animals is that they would, if they got their hands on a baby elephant and the mama didn't kill them, right? Um, they would chain the baby elephant, a chain that looks a lot like this. Much longer, of course, you know, just have an imagination with me. And what they would do is they would wrap this chain around the baby's leg or around its body and chain it to a big tree that it can't pull up, right? And so over time, the elephant will pull and it will tug and it will try to get away from this chain, but it can't break it. And what happens is not so much that they keep the chain on it forever, it conditions the elephant and makes them feel like when this something is wrapped around them, regardless of what it is, they can't break it. That's what's implanted, the seed that's implanted in their mind. And that's why later on, like when you go to the circus or overseas or whatever, you see this giant elephant, elephant at full size, full growth, they can rip trees, roots and all out of the ground. They can flip cars they can use, I'm sure you've seen videos where it's like, oh, nice, pet the elephant, and the elephant grabs them by the trunk and chunks them 10 feet, right? It's, it's, they're very strong. And you wonder, right? And so you see that rope that's around an adult elephant's leg, and you wonder, why won't they break it? What, if they only knew how strong they are, why, why don't they just snap that thing and run? So those are good thoughts to have, the good, the good survival instincts to think about. But ever since a baby, starting with the chain, they were conditioned to think, you cannot break free. You cannot break this thing that is tied around. So it moves from chain to tiny rope, and that is how they do it. It's baby elephant syndrome. Um, if they only knew how strong they were. So as humans, we get conditioned in the same way. We have something that happens in our life, and instead of chains, literal chains, it's pain, it's regret, it's humiliation, it's the feeling of being used, cast out, ostracized. It's a metaphorical mind chain that gets put on us when we are young, because we know how ruthless children and teenagers can be. Somebody said something to us, and it affected us in, in a terrible way, uh, 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 to the point to where when they say it, we get a chain around us. But it's never one thing, right? We, we can think back and think of the bad things, but then we're like, but then there's this other instance. And so then there's more chains, and it can grow. There's not a, a limit on the chains that people can put on us, but we have these moments, and it locks something in our mind, and they tell us, you're not good enough for some reason, or you have this. I mean, this is one of my experiences as a child. This is my story. It's not in my notes. Um, so this is a gift to you. When I was a kid, I was not always the most studious, and so I ended up in summer school. And there was this moment where I met this girl that I just personally was not interested in, right, in, in that way. Also, my parents had this great rule. It kept me out of a lot of trouble. Uh, I was not allowed to date until a certain age, right? So I couldn't even pursue it. I was like, it's, it's not possible, you know, kind of thing. My parents won't allow it. They hold all the keys. Um, and so this girl it found out and kind of figured out that I wasn't going to reciprocate, right? The carrying, that going back and forth. So one day she looks me dead in the eyes and she says, you know what? 
one of your eyes is kind of crooked. And in the moment, I'm like, what, so? You know, what, that's all you got kind of thing? Women are diabolical, okay? <laughs> it's built in you. It's a power that you need to harness. I'm not, I'm not saying that you're bad or anything like that, but you got a power, right? <laughs> because to this day, I will look myself in the mirror and go, she's kind of right. It has haunted me for years, okay? This, it was a chain that was put on me. And I, would ha- I played a lot of sports growing up, and so there was moments in sports where I fell short. I wasn't the, the best athlete. I wasn't the star, and so I would fall short. And see, so I would say, you're not good enough, right? And so we end up with these chains that end up pulling us back, and we think, I can't break free because that moment when it happened, it felt so real, and there were real circumstances to their comments, right? And it felt so powerful that it conditioned us to think that even beyond that moment, this is me. This is my limitation. I will never go beyond this moment. It ends up chaining us in our minds. Real emotions, circumstances, consequences, is so powerful, you feel like you can't break away. And then when we have those moments and we begin to live out of it, what it becomes when we get locked into those chains and feel like we can't be released, it turns into a debt. Something has been taken away from us. And now we feel there is a debt. And something has to be that we want justice. We want payback. Uh, And probably you would be logically justified in getting that payback, right? I know we have... We have judges and juries and executioners. We got, we got that in our land, but even now today, we don't even need them. We'll just cancel you. We'll put you in a social prison because we want payback, right? That's what we want. We walk around with this, and it ends up becoming, we find ourselves in a place of unforgiveness. And for some of you, you've walked around with a week sometimes a year, some of you have unforgiveness that has lasted decades, meaning that you have been chained to that comment, to that moment for longer than it ever should have had a hold on you. And it's powerful. It affects who you are. This has been a struggle for humanity for a long time. It is noted in most ancient texts that are moral-based. Forgiveness has been rooted in it. It's been talked about. Forgiveness has been included in virtually every religion and philosophy humanity has ever come up with. The oldest historical records of forgiveness are found in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Most notable is a story of Joseph. Now, Joseph, this is in the book of Genesis, and you've probably heard of Joseph and Coat of Many Colors and all that kind of thing, right? Um, Now, he had 12 brothers. Um, and 12 brothers, I mean, some of you have one brother, and it's terrible, right? Can you imagine have 12, right? 12 brothers, uh, man. So and they were jealous of Joseph because of the relationship that Joseph had with the father, right? And so the brothers were so jealous, which jealousy is usually the seed that leads to chaining somebody. Um, and they decided, you know what? We're going to do away with him. We're going to sell him into slavery in Egypt. Right now, this is a great story, and you should go back and read it. I'm just giving you the cliff notes of it. So while enslaved, God raises Joseph and promotes him. 
more times over than we can probably count. And he, so much so, he becomes the second highest in command. He goes from sold into slavery to second highest in command in the government. Can you imagine that? What a rags to riches story. What an amazing rise. And so years later, great famine hit the land. And when famine hits the land and it's out of control of the common people, what do they do? They turn to the leaders. They say, hey, government that we've supported, we need help. We need help. So the brothers went to the government, went to the higher powers that be, the leaders, looking, unknowingly going before Joseph, who was second in command, and he asked for provisions for their family. Joseph had every right logically every right to put them in their place and say, hey, remember me, brother? You're going down, right? And if, if that's the story, the story would have went, if he would have got his payback, we would have cheered it on because we love a good payback story. You do. It's like nearly every movie that you watch. Every movie that Denzel Washington has been in, you have just soaked up. The, the pain, and, and, and then he's like, yeah, get him, Denzel, you know, that kind of thing, right? You just pay back. It's, it, it's so tasty, and we want it for ourselves, but he doesn't do that. Joseph does the exact opposite. He displays unconditional forgiveness. More recently, in modern age, um, people have been getting to challenge the validity of forgiveness, its value to life in general, right? Uh, so modern-day thinkers and influencers are spreading messages like, forget forgiveness, embrace hate. That's the path to healing, right? And that's how we end up with cancel culture. We might not have, be able to put them in prison physically, but we can put them in a social prison, Right? And so that's where we've ended up. It's that, that don't forgive them, embrace the hate, let it fuel you. Now, that's kind of how they, doesn't that sound familiar, like a trilogy we've seen before, right? Vader, you know, it's all like, we've seen this, right? And it's, it's not, it does not end well because it's an endless whole. By and large, most people, regardless of this, still find value in forgiveness. Why? Because we're human and we fail. And we want forgiveness ourselves when we've done something wrong. So it's something that is continuing regardless of the selfish nature that we are embracing today. And intentional or unintentional, we mess up. We hurt people, the people that we love. We often hurt the people we love the most through words and actions, which creates a what? An offense. When offense is taken, that means something is taken away from you. A debt is created right? We, there's all of a sudden a debt. Forgiving doesn't always come naturally. We are innately not forgiving people because we're in nature selfish. We have to be taught how to forgive. And most are taught this from an early childhood, right? So play, if you're a parent, you've done this. If you're a uncle or, or you have nieces and nephews or, or you're an aunt, you've done this, right? Your grandma, you've done this. The point where you're on the playground, it's in the house, somebody offends somebody, Somebody takes advantage, right? And one is crying, and the other one said, they did this to me, right? And so, okay, he said, was that right to do? No. Well, say you're sorry. So they say you're sorry. They, they do all that. And then you go to the other one and say, do you accept their apology? Now hug and make up, right? We do this. It's a good practice. But at some point, as adults, 
we end up in a place where we don't do that anymore. If we would just practice that simple thing, there's a lot of grief, a lot of pain and struggle that we could escape if we would just do this, right? But some along the way, this cadence, to say you're sorry, tell them you forgive them, but we lose track of it. And regardless that we've engaged in it for so many, it's challenging to forgive. It really is, especially as the offense is more and more complex. It's no longer they just took my toy. They hurt me. They hurt me physically. They hurt me financially. And so because of that, there's a debt. There's a detriment. And, and now there's something to be gained back. The debt gets greater and greater depending on the situations, from sibling scuffles to family betrayals, from late for our date to an unfaithful marriage, from buddies through childhood to embezzlers in our company. It happens. However small or large, a debt is a debt. And now you're thinking, well, you know, if this is the kids, and we, but we're growing up now, and it shouldn't affect us as much. You are still a child. I don't care how old you are on this earth. Comparing to God, you are a child, and he will never see you other than a child because you do not have the years and wisdom to overshadow God. So you might not be infantile and have to have your diapers changed, but you still have childish notions, selfish notions. You take when you shouldn't. You hurt when you shouldn't, right? Or you get hurt, and you let it bury down deep in you, and you hold on to those debts. But when debts go unsettled, emotional, financial, or spiritual, there are two options to settling debts, okay? Two options. Option number one, this is the truth, guys. Option number one, you can demand the debt. Time to pay the piper, right? Time to, to cough it up. For example, so if you have a financial debt, you graduated from college and you realize it's not going to pay for itself. Um, you bought a, you got a loan for a car and you realize... Nobody else is going to help you pay this loan. It's all on you, even though you're giving rise to all your friends, right? It's all on you. But after a few months, you lose your job. You have a financial crisis, and now you can't pay the loan. And now the, the loan company is going, hey, did you forget? Did you forget about the loan? Hey, here's a soft reminder. Hey, you're a little late, 15 days. Why don't you get that in before the month is closed? Then it turns into, hey, you better do this, or it's not going to go well for you. You signed on the dotted line. Now it's time to pay up. And then it goes a little further. You can't pay it back. And then it goes to random people called debt collectors, right? And then one day you're getting unknown calls to your phone, right? And you're afraid to answer. One day you get the guts to answer. They, oh, hello, who's there, right? And like, this is a debt collector. And you hang up the phone really quick. Maybe they didn't catch me, you know, kind of thing. But they keep calling. They send letters. They, they send carrier pigeon. They, they send enforcers. Hopefully not. Um, and then eventually, if you don't pay it back, they come and take it. They take the car. They unload your bank account. They do all of these things, right? Even though you've been dodging them over and over and over because you still owe. Even when they take the car, they still, you still owe. It's not over. They still want something from you because de depreciation and all that kind of stuff. You find yourself in this downward spiral of collections. Your credit score drops. They don't, it doesn't matter if it's $50 or $50,000. A debt is a debt to them. 
And they will ruin you to get it because that's what they do. And they're very crafted at it. The same is true when someone creates a debt with you. They breach a promise. They, they have an unmet expectation or they betray your trust. And maybe it's bigger and deeper than you thought it was going to be. It's like abandonment or all types of abuse, physical or emotional, an unjust death of a loved one. You get cheated on. You have a lying boss. You have a church that used you and abused you and spit you out. So on and so on. We could, we could go on and on and on. You think this isn't fair. You're justified in that. Someone's got to pay. You're justified in that. You are owed. You become the debt collector in that situation because you relentlessly are in pursuit to make them pay for what they owe. I know this feeling all too well. When I first started in ministry, I was a youth pastor, and I worked at a church, and I was there for, I don't know, seven, eight months, all kind of a blur, and uh, one night, I mean, nothing is ever perfect. No work situation is ever perfect. You're going to rub people, especially with a large personality like me. Some, not everybody likes me. I know it's shocking to you, but not everybody likes me, right? Uh, sometimes I offend people. Actually, I do it a lot. I have to apologize a lot. Um, I'm getting better at it. But I end up in this situation where I got canned. I got fired after I had a Wednesday night service with the youth. They called me to the office, and they fired me and told me to clear my desk by Friday and don't come back. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't commit a heinous crime, but they treated me like I had, right? A debt started. They took something from me that I did not deserve. So I was angry. I was mad. I was justified in that. Anybody I told the story to, and you're kind of feeling that right now, I'm going, yeah! Yeah! Let's get the pitchfork and get them. You know, that's kind of how you feel. And I would have been like, yeah, let's do it, right? In the moment. Something was taken from me. Early ministry. And it wasn't just like, hey, your career is over. It's your calling is over. The calling is something totally bigger than just a, a job. There's a burning passion inside of me that God put there. I didn't ask for it. He gave it to me. And even if I tried to squash it, it would come back. And it might not be big, but it's still there. So after that, I was filled with so much pain, regrets, and feeling inadequate, feeling like it was like all these other pastors are doing wrong things, and we're going to employ them. But you, who has done nothing wrong, we don't need you. That's what I felt. So for like, I think a year, Hannah would probably say it was longer, um, it's all kind of a blur. I went into depression. So I began to question myself because the chains were heavy and they hurt. And I, and I let them just wrap them around me. And, and so I went through a season of like, I'm not even working for them anymore. And now it's like, it's not a chain, it's a string, but I can't break it because they made me feel like I am not worth it. And it dragged me down devastated, mad, regretful. I became judge and jury. I felt someone needed to pay for what they did to me. And I was justified for it. And you would have cheered me on. I have every right to demand payback. 
Here's the second option. Second option. The second option is to forgive the debt. We don't like to hear that. <laughs> that's, not, that's not an option we like to hear because we want what we want, right? We're mad about it. But to forgive a debt is to forgive in a way that you decide to release and cancel the debt that one is owed. So if a debt collector says, oh, the debt is canceled, right? You want them to disappear. Don't contact me anymore. I paid it off. It's over. Don't call me later and remind me that I paid it, okay? It's done. I want you to go to a different planet. I want you to shred the paperwork. It is over. Same way that we want it done for us, we got to do for others. When we cancel a debt, we shred it. It is over. It is the process of bringing one's emotions and behaviors in alignment with that decision. You make the choice and choose to forgive. It's optional. You don't have to do it, but it's a best practice too. You will feel have a free, you have the free will to choose to do it or not. But for those who are Jesus followers, there's an extra implication to it. I strongly encourage you to forgive, and for good reason. One of Jesus' disciples named Matthew, he was literally a debt collector. He was a tax man. And in this time, a tax man, that's what they did. They collected taxes. They took debts, right? Sometimes they patted them, which was not good, right? And there's other stories about that, right? And so the debt collector, Matthew, who knew it well, records uh, most of Jesus' sermon that's been repeated over and over again, Sermon on the Mount, and there's a part of this Sermon on the Mount that I want to reach into, right? So in Matthew 6, 9 through 11, Jesus teaches us how to pay, how to pray and say this, right? So in Matthew 6, 9 through 15, it says, and you've probably heard this before, I'm sure you have, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, he's like, if you don't know what to do, do this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then he goes, he adds something to it. He pads it, right? In verse 14 and 15, he says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Wait a minute, my forgiveness is wrapped up into God? But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That changes the game, right? That, that, that's like a ouch, because that's hard. Because not only is it just mine and my debt, but somehow it also involves God? And my forgiveness to others involves my forgiveness, God's forgiveness for me? That changes things. It has eternal implications. But you would think that's not fair, but Jesus loves us so much that he wants us to have the whole enchilada. He wants us to have the ultimate opportunity to forgive and that has a clear impact on our lives and others. So it's difficult to do now. It was difficult to do then because it was a lot harder to track people then. You could probably get away with it a lot easier then than they can now. 
And so Jesus' followers heard him teach this concept over and over and over again. Matthew records another teaching on forgiveness and reconciliation. We find in Matthew 18, 21, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. He's like, that's a lot, God. Can I just stop at seven? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. That's a lot. Could you imagine the worst person that's done something against you? You have to forgive them 70 times 7? You know, it's just craziness. So Jesus' parable about a, there's another parable about a servant who owed the master a huge sum of money and couldn't repay it. And the servant begged the master. He said, hey, throw me into prison. Just don't kill me, please. I know it's a lie. And I, I probably not, will never be able to pay this back. I'm like, can you please just have mercy on me? Begged for it. And the master did something that was crazy in that time. He says, hey, you know what? You're forgiven. It's over. I'm not going to bring it up again. You got it. Now go. Go be happy. Do your thing, right? Some time passed, and unbeknownst to probably the master and, you know, the servant probably even forgot about it, but somebody owed the servant, right? Much smaller debt. Totally, totally like it would be handleable within, you know, a small amount of time but didn't have it in the moment. And the servant decided, I'm going to call the debt, and if you can't pay it, you're going to jail. And that's what happened. He threw him into jail, and he was hard on this other person who owed much less than what he owed. This is what happens next. Uh, Because the word got around, you know, it's a small town probably, and they went back and told the master. So in Matthew 18, 32, we find this. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. He's probably still being tortured. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This changes things, right? It's not just about a, a, a debacle that you're having with another human. This has eternal implications, This is where the second part of the definition of forgiveness comes in. That once you forgive, you decide to release and cancel the debt that is owed. You begin to align one's emotions and behaviors with that decision. See, a lot of us want the opposite. We want people to grovel. We want people to beg for forgiveness until we forgive them because that's more tasty, right? But no, it's just the opposite. He says, no, no, no. You decide to forgive first, and then the actions follow. That's a game changer. It changes how you operate. Align is a verb that means to place, arrange, or give support of it. It's not another way around it. Jesus teaches that we decide first, then we bring our emotion into alignment. I want to acknowledge that forgiveness is not easy. I'm not saying it is. It is not easy. Forgiveness will never feel good in the moment. Never. It'll be the worst thing that you had to do. Acceptance and letting go are key parts of forgiveness. You may never get an apology from that person, but that person may never understand how they wronged you too. So if your freedom 
from anger, bitterness, and regret is wrapped up in someone else's, I'm sorry, you have chained yourself. You put that on you. If you're waiting for that, I'm sorry, this is what happened. Now, you've imprisoned yourself, and the person who wronged you, they are now your captor, and they own you because you let them. You've become a prisoner, and you're telling them, you're the reason I'm angry and always irritable. You're the reason I can't thrive in a relationship. You're the reason I am so unhappy and unfulfilled. This is keeping you from a strong, healthy, enjoyable marriage. It's keeping you from growing as a leader and advancing in your career. It is keeping you from being the best parent you can be. It's keeping you from being the friend that your friends need you to be because of that chain. Some of you are in a place where a church has hurt or taken advantage of you. And so now, and I, and trust me, I hear stories all the time of what the church did to me and this, and I can't blame you for being upset. I would be mad too. There would be a debt. There would. But because of that, you have not forgiven. This chain is on you. Now you're saying things like, uh, you're saying things like, the church just asked too much of me, or the church is really just judgmental, or the church just, this is one of the golden one, uh, church just wants my money, right? You end up saying things like that, and that might have been true in a scenario. Somebody used and abused you, but that's not the way it's meant to be. That's not the church that Jesus created. That's not what he forecast when he called us to build his church, it is keeping you, this chain that you have from this previous church experience is keeping you from continuing on your faith journey, keeping you from growing in your faith that you have in Jesus, keeping you from stretching yourself, taking yourself to further lengths in Jesus' name. It's keeping you from having a deeper and more rich relationship with Jesus because of what somebody else did to you, and you let it imprison you. Don't give someone else that kind of power over you. This is going to sound funny, but you were created in this world to be the elephant. God gave us dominion over this world, and he gives you control and free will over your life, and not just so you can figure it out and do it on your own, but then he comes behind you. He sent you the Holy Spirit, the helper, to come alongside you and guide you down the best practices, the best path that he has for your life. To live it. In Romans 8, 37, he, they, they went, in Romans, they went through and they talked about, in Romans 8, talked about like a bunch of things you're going to go through as a Christian, some hardships, also reasons to give up, justifiable reasons. And this is what he finished with. Romans 8, 37 says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. More than conquerors. That's elephant behavior to me. That's walking into a space and saying, this is God's. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's his. And he's called me to be something here. Jesus also said, I came to give you life and to have it to the fullest. But that life comes with forgiveness. Forgiveness is not easy and it never feels good. 
Forgiveness is not something that you can also just do one time. You got to repeat it. There's gonna, you could forgive somebody, right? And then a decade later, you're trying to better yourself. And then Satan will come in and say, hey, remember that? When you look in the mirror, hey, remember she said your eye was crooked? They're not going to want to look at you. You're not, you're not good looking enough. You're not, they're not going to want you in that room. You don't talk well enough. You're not a good enough athlete. You're not a good enough leader. Could you remember what they said? And he will try to rechain you, the chains that you've already broken. So forgiveness is a process that continues. But what if they don't ask for forgiveness? Do I have to forgive them? You don't. But it would be a best, best practice to. It would be a good idea to do so. Why? Because life is all connected. It's not separated. Every decision that you make, every choice, every step that you take, this almost sounds like song lyrics, um, it's going to affect you. It's going to affect you. The things that happened to you as a child, you want to get freaky with it? You want to get real creepy? Give me a session with you, and I can dig up your past and find out some of the weird quirks that you have as an adult. It's because you were a kid. We've even had counselors tell us, you know, with our kids, because it's good to go to counseling. It's not a bad thing. I recommend it. You don't have to be unhealthy to go to counseling. It's a good, healthy thing to do. We've been to counseling with our kids, and our kids have struggles, right? And we talked to the counselor, and the counselor asked us this, and this blew our mind. He said, how was his birth? Well, it was tough. C-section, code reds. We, I didn't know who was alive, Hannah, the baby, both. I, I, don't, I have no idea. There was moments of that. And she tells us that affects him. You might not know it, but that is trauma that affects him. That is a chain that only God can break. I could dig into your past and I could show you some crazy stuff. I can do that. But every decision you make that impacts the rest of your life. My decision to forgive my old boss, church, and people I thought were my friends was a great decision. Because if I didn't choose to forgive them, I wouldn't be standing here. I wouldn't. We wouldn't be on our seventh action group. And God knows how many other things that we've done to help our community. I wouldn't be able to walk through the hard situations in your life and to be with you. I, I wouldn't be able to celebrate with you when babies are born or when you get married or when you find that one. I, I wouldn't be able to do that. You wouldn't know who I am, and I wouldn't know you wonderful souls if I didn't forgive. Because if I didn't forgive, I would have walked away from the calling. I would have got a sales job, made a lot of money, got in a boat, and got out of here. That's what I would have done. I love the water. I would have done that. But I chose to forgive. So much so, years later, I decided I'm going to get back into the game. I'm going to answer this calling because God will not leave me alone, right? And so I start applying for jobs. And of course, what's going to be on my resume? The guy who fired me. So I call him up. Now at this point, he's in a higher position than before. He could actually ruin me even more. And I say, hey, man, I'm applying for jobs. Am I going to get any surprises when they call you? Because I still don't know why I was fired. I didn't commit a crime. I did nothing heinous. And to my complete shock, I, was, I remember vividly, I was in an academy near the closing rack. I nearly <laughs> fell out. And he said, I would hire you again. You didn't do necessarily anything wrong. It was them. They wanted you out. 
and you rub them wrong, because I'm a big personality. I, I am, I, and I get that, and I've learned it the hard way. And sometimes I rub people wrong, right? I didn't commit a crime, didn't do anything wrong, and he tells me, I would hire you again in a heartbeat. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me that then? Why couldn't you? I, great, wonderful, thank you. You know, you've released me, but why? Why wouldn't you? And so I, I got to have this moment, and that's not even the, 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 the meat of it. The fact is that I forgave. I said, it's okay. I let it go. I move on. And so because of that, I get to stand here today. I stopped letting it hold me back. I broke the chains that I thought were unbreakable with Jesus' help. And so you're thinking, I want that, Bill. There's something holding me back. There's a chain that I can't seem to break. It feels unbreakable. They threw it on me. I put it on myself. What should I do? How can I start? So the first step to forgive, and this is going to be awful, and I'm sorry, okay? I'm closing with this, I promise. So take, take notes, and now's the time. Pray for them. What? Yeah, it's terrible, I know. Pray for them. Pray for them. The Bible repeatedly says to pray for our enemies. It's not just so you can promote the people that are against you. It's for a reason. It's for you. The next thing, it says to also bless them. That's even worse. Now i got to bless them? Not praying for them and like, Lord, fix them. they got a problem. No, 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 no. Really pray for them and ask the Lord to bless them in their careers. Bless them in their families. Make their boat bigger, Lord. You know, whatever it may be, bless them. In Romans 12, 14, it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse even though you might be justified. It literally means to speak well of them and hope the best for them. And here's the last one, and this is the worst one of all. <laughs> Do good for them. Oof, that's terrible. <laughs> Do good for them. Pray for them, bless them. What do you mean do good for them? Here it is, Romans 12, 17. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful. Do, do what is right be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That even means the unpeaceful people. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. Remember I said you're a child of God? I don't know a good parent out there that would not defend their child when someone comes against them. I love kids, but if someone punches my kid, you're going to have to hold me back. I might hit them. I will strike a child for my child, okay? Not really. I'm just kidding. But that's the way God feels about us. He will avenge. He will get his, okay, in, in his name, not yours. So it says, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. That is terrible. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I love that line, heaping coals on their head. It's basically telling them, you have no control on me. This chain you placed means nothing to me. You have no hold in my life. You're not going to stop me from what God has for me. It heaps coals on their head, and they hate it because they thought they had control on you. But he said, no, there's only one who controls all of this, and I serve him, yeah. not you. We might get along, but I don't. I serve God. 
So in closing, I promise this is, is the decision we're faced with today. Some of you might be today. You might have some unforgiveness in your heart. You got to work on that. I know it's challenging. The debts and wounds are deep. They hurt you. They made you suffer. And, and you were completely and logically justified to take action to get payback. But <laughs> recognize Forgiveness is not for their benefit. It's for yours. Your hurt doesn't hurt them. That chain does not pull them back. It pulls you back. Forgiveness is for you, not for them. Then once you decide that, bring alignment to your actions and behaviors and emotions. And it will, I guarantee it, it won't feel good in the moment, but it will set you free. You will be free. That's a choice that you have today. And you don't have to do it, but I believe you'll be glad you did when it's all said and done. That is one of the best practices to have. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being the ultimate example of forgiveness. Not only did you come teach us and tell us how to forgive and how life-giving it is to release those chains, to break them in your name, but Lord, you came and forgave all of the sins, every one of them, to the point you gave us something that we don't deserve. And the least that we could do in love for you is to forgive others, your creation, just as you forgave us. So Lord, give us the fortitude, give us the guts, the courage to forgive to stop letting these chains hold us back from what you've called us to be. The elephant, the one that walks into the room, commands the room in your name. And Lord, if there's areas that we have opportunities to bless, to pray for, and to do good to our enemies, and we're missing it, show us so that we can ultimately and completely break that chain in your name. Help us to forgive. Thank you for the forgiveness that you've given us. And I pray that we embody this in everything that we do, individually and as a church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.